0: And this is the last one of the three in that that triad. It's pretty amazing. Read with me, beginning in verse 17 of Luke chapter 5. On one of those days he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst in front of Jesus. And when he saw their faith, Jesus said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? He rose up before them, picked up his bed, what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for today. Thank you for these men and women and the kids and everyone who's out here today. Lord, what an honor it is to set aside the first day of the week, the first of that day, to come and be with your family and to glorify and worship you. Father, that's why we're here. We declare that, Father. We're here for you. You don't need us to be here, but you've called us to be here. And Father, we do need to worship you. And so we thank you, Lord, that you've called us. We thank you that in your word we are called to come and to gather together and to sing praises to you to hear your word preached, proclaimed. Allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts. Father, we we pray that would happen today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us today boldly. Father, I also want to pray for our dear sister Lucy, uh, who's in hospital here in town, and she's not well. She's fallen again and hurt herself. And Father, so we pray for dear Lucy. We love her very much, and we pray that you would heal her, the doctors would have wisdom to help her, and that she would recover soon and be back with us. And so, Father, we pray for her. We pray for each one of us here gathered today. Who, we come with struggles, Lord. We come with um, things that we don't understand about you and, and we want to. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' worthy name, amen. Yeah, I put that in there because we, we, we just heard uh, last night that Lucy was taken to hospital. Second time she's had a fall and hurt herself. So, uh, please keep that in mind and her in mind today to pray for her. So, so far in this gospel, I want to do just a quick little recap because I think it's important. Um, In the early chapters of Luke, we've seen that what he's been doing is he's been doing this orderly account in his own words. That's how he put it. So that his good friend Theophilus, a skeptic who's become a Christian, would have certainty about who Jesus is. And we saw early on in the gospel, it was interesting, like in the very beginning, like about the birth of Jesus and all of these different times in, in the birth narrative, and up until he sees John the Baptist, up until that point in time, we have angels declaring that he is the Son of God, like Mary and Joseph and uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth and, and the shepherds in the field. I mean, all these people are being told by angelic beings that this child who is born is the Son of God. And so Luke has been laying it out, and there's, there's no question that these things have happened, and, and he's laying it out for us. But then it gets to John the Baptist. Jesus comes forward at 30 years of age. He comes forward to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John the Baptist publicly, publicly declares, this is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And at that same time, the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus bodily like a dove, and so we've got the Son and the Holy Spirit present, and then, and then the heavens open, and we hear, Luke writes, the words of the Father that say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so Luke has laid it out, like in the early chapters, there is just no question in his mind and in those witnesses' mind that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, but following his baptism, there's an immediate change. It's kind of uncanny. For the next little while in his his gospel, all we see, especially when Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan, the only beings that are declaring, in fact, who he is are demons. (laughs) Like, they're the only ones coming out and saying, in fact, you're the Son of God. Oh, I know who you are, Jesus. You're the Son of God. They're the ones declaring it. So, in other words, spiritual beings from outside of our plane are making these declarations about him, but it's interesting, since that time, it would appear that things have changed. Things have changed considerably. Uh, Not only are we, uh, most who encounter Jesus and his powerful preaching and the miracles that he is producing and healings, unsure about him, but some are even beginning to think, yeah, there's no possible way he's the Messiah, and there's no possible way that I'm going to believe he's the Son of God. We hear more of that and see more of that taking place as we move forth. It surfaced, of course, dramatically a few weeks ago when he goes to his hometown in Nazareth and he preaches the gospel and he preaches and declares that Isaiah 61 is speaking specifically of him and, well, that, that, and that he's anointed by the Spirit of God to bring riches to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind, and deliver the oppressed, from all of their burdens, that he was, in fact, the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy right there in the flesh in front of them. Well, what was their conclusion after that? Well, their conclusion was, um, we, we, we want to kill you. <laughs> we want nothing to do with this. They, it was a complete turn in the gospel, and Luke presents this, and it's kind of shocking that this would happen. But again, the Christian scriptures are amazing in the sense that they just tell the truth. They just tell the truth of what happened. And so what they heard Jesus saying, really, at that time, and the religious leaders especially were beginning to hear was this. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. He said things like this. Basically, this is what I think they heard. Jesus speaking, I've come to save those who know they're spiritually bankrupt, I mean, at first they loved his eloquent words, and all of a sudden, the penny starts to drop, lights are going on, they're going, hey, wait a second, he's talking about us, the spiritually bankrupt, not to spiritual and self-righteous people. I've come to tell the truth to those who understand and know that they are spiritual prisoners, that they are indeed in prison and in bondage. I've come for those who know they can't see, that they are blind, and they have no hope or sight on their own. I've come for those who are under the tremendous burden of sin and guilt. I've come for all of them. And as he's saying these words and preaching this sermon, he's looking at all them going, all of you. Well, it's beginning to be too much for the religious leaders who certainly, listen, they don't believe that at all. They believe through their religious behavior, through their outward acts, and uh, according to them, their perfect keeping of the law. That wait a second, we're not we're not the poor, you know, we're not the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. Those Gentiles are maybe, but not us. We're not those people, and that's why they they tried to kill Jesus in Nazareth. They they were offended by him. <laughs> it's not like that today, is it? People are not offended by the gospel, are they? Not offended by Jesus, are they? Uh, They thought they were the free, the liberated. They were those who could see the truth. They had the truth. They preached the truth. Who are you to call us that? They were offended by Jesus, and especially uh, offended by the fact that he was preaching the same message to the Gentiles and to anyone who would hear him as to them, which is, you need to repent, for the kingdom of God is here right now, me. It's here. I'm establishing it. So last week in the story of the leper whom Jesus healed, he did something that really got their attention, really got the attention, especially of the religious leaders, which is why we see them here today. And it got their attention for all the wrong reasons. What did he do? Jesus stretched out his hand and literally touched an unclean leper. This was unheard of. This was absolutely unheard of. It was the one act, actually, it was the kind of thing that they had spies out there looking for. Find something. Find something about what he's doing, what he's doing, so that we can prove once and for all this guy's a charlatan, that he's not really the son of God. And so it's interesting. We saw in verse 15 of last week kind of the the, the foreshadowing of this, right? Luke is writing, and he puts a little hint in verse 15, and it says this. But now even more... Right? This is at the end of the story of the leper, but now even more, the report, right? the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So yes, the report went out, most definitely the report went out. But what went out was that, oh, man, is preaching. This time he was on fire. It was so amazing. And he healed this leper. It was beautiful. It was amazing. The leper, he was like cleaned instantly. And he got up, and he's running around praising God. It was just an amazing... No, no, actually, I think the headline of this report was this. Man who claims to be Messiah touched a leper. Read all about it. Man who claims to be the Messiah touched a leper. That was the report. And that's why we arrive at our text for today. So let's look at the first verse as we go into it. It says this. On one of those days, this is kind of interesting, he's not at the synagogue preaching, but Luke just says, let's just pick a day just after these events. Here's what happened. He was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. So he continues with, on one of those days... they probably were rolling one into the other, and it's, it's like, it's not, Jesus didn't just preach on Saturday in the synagogue, he's preaching and teaching every day. It's incredible what we see about him, preaching the kingdom of God. But this is the first time that we read in the scriptures, in Luke's gospel, I should say, that the big guys are there. The big guys are there, with the big hats and the big coats, they're all there. And you notice how Luke introduces them. He introduces them as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And this is another one of those points in the gospel where it's kind of a a change of scenery. It's kind of like Act 1 to Act 2. Different players are introduced. And these are the players that will make all of the difference, really, from this point forward, besides Jesus, (laughs) in the gospel. And this is where they get introduced, these Jewish men. So these Pharisees, these guys were the top of the food chain, spiritual leaders in Judaism at the time. Um, They actually got their name from the Hebrew word parash, which means to separate. And so they were separated ones, separated from other people. Kind of got out of hand in their own mind how separate they were from people. Uh, They were separated to the law, essentially. They were separated to God. So they were religious leaders, and they were supposed to be sanctified and holy and and righteous because of God, not because of what they do. They literally hated anything that in their minds violated that separation. They became quite legalistic. They were both highly respected, but also feared and quite frankly, sometimes loathed by their fellow Jews. They were respected because they truly were the learned and godly theologians of their day, the keepers of the law. But they also, unfortunately, went far beyond the word of God. They added to the Word of God, 600 more laws and rules, and it was kind of a game. It was kind of like, they weren't just adding to the Word of God because, well, you know, this is pretty serious stuff. We want you guys to really learn it. No, they were, the the kind of things they would add to it would actually weaken the primary law because they were like, well, God, that's kind of, so let's just make a few other little addendums, then we can keep those. But then they would heap those burdens on the people, and the people didn't like that. Then there were the teachers of the law that are present here today. And they're, this is the only time we're going to see them in the gospel mentioned as the teachers of the law because we get to know them really as a subset within the Pharisees called the scribes. And so that's what they're going to be called throughout the rest of the gospel, but he introduces them at first as the teachers of the law. And the main reason for that is that they were the, the, the highest level of the theologians. They were not only the, the teachers of, you know, like uh, in the seminaries and, and the rabbinical teachers, but they were also the lawyers, right? the scribes and lawyers, because they were the ones that if you contravened the law, if there was any question, the law was being broken, they were the ones who would stand in judgment. So they were lawyers as well as scribes. So also look how Luke positions them. It's interesting in this, this verse, right? They, they were sitting there. And, and it was common and known in that day that they, they considered themselves not only um, um, the, the keepers of the law and, and separated, but quite frankly, above everybody else. So they expected front row seats. They expected to be put up front. They weren't like the humble types. Oh, it's okay, we'll sit in the back. No, come on up front. No, no they were expected to be seated up front. So there they are sitting there, right? He presents it that way. They wanted to be seen, to be noticed. And there were a lot of them. The verse tells us from every village in Galilee and Judea and of course from the mothership, the big ship in Jerusalem. This is a big deal. So I got, I wonder, like, here's Jesus in this house preaching to all this crowd, the place is overflowing with people, and there in the front row, do you think there was any chance they came to intimidate him? Like, I remember when, when it was early on in the planning of this church when, like, some of the, the top four uh, leaders of our denomination in British Columbia came to church one Sunday unannounced, and they sat right up front, and I'm trying to preach. It's, it's intimidating, it's a, it really is. So finally, Luke, of course, inserts some tension into this. And Jesus was uh, with the power to heal. The power of the the Lord was with him to heal. So there's some expectation that Luke's writing into it. Something's going to happen as you read this. And so now they're back in likely Peter's house in Capernaum. Um, Jesus not being able to go home anymore to Nazareth. Uh, Capernaum has really become his hometown, and really uh, his home was probably in Peter's house where he'd been before to heal Peter's mom. And so here they are. The house would have had a large atrium on the second floor. Uh, usually it was one of the large open-style uh, rooms. And so the, the people are on the second floor. The place is packed. The Pharisees is there with their posse up front. like It's, like it's, it's packed, wall-to-wall, down the stairs, out the door, And then we read, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So, again, I like to do this and we, we do this almost every week in this narrative story of Luke is to come on just put your put your mind there for a second right Jesus right? preaching people have come from all over the, the the known world in that area at that time to hear him and the their the pharisees are there and they're talking and all of a sudden there's this sound of people walking on the roof right and and it says tiles in our translation here but really it it was probably more of a Um, a dirt roof and dust and and branches and stuff like that. And so you you can hear them up there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is still preaching, and the Pharisees are in the front row, right? And and all of a sudden, some dirt starts falling down into the room, right? And all of a sudden, there's skylight, right? And it's opening up, and there's dust and dirt getting all over the Pharisees, which is really not good. And Jesus is still preaching away, and all of a sudden, there's these ropes. And this guy is being brought down, in front of Jesus, and the four dudes are up on the roof letting their friend down in front of Jesus, and Jesus is like, <clears throat> hello? It's remarkable, isn't it? Talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's an, it's an incredible act of love that these, these men have portrayed here that we see in the Scripture it's incredible. Mark in his gospel in chapter 2 and verses 2 and 4, I think I have it to put on screen for you, he, he uh, describes the story or the circumstances this way. It says, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, right? So you can see the guys that come here, they've got him right? And they come to the front door and they're like, ah, there's, there's no room, we can't get in. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let him down on the bed on which the bed, pardon me, on which the paralytic lay. So it's a beautiful picture, and I've heard lots of sermons that just focus on this, like this being the big deal here. And it is wonderful. It's a beautiful picture of brothers loving another brother and, and, and wanting, you know, he could have been one of their literal brothers or just be like a father, and we don't know who he is. But it's an incredible picture of that and of community, like, helping each other. Like, there's a lot of ways you can go with that but it's not the focus of the story. So we won't spend a lot of time on that, but maybe in community group this week, we will look at it more deeply. The big deal of the story is what comes next. And Jesus is standing there. Again, look at the picture, guys. There's this silence in the room. You've gotta, it's got to be silence. And, and this guy's hovering <laughs> right here in front of Jesus. And Jesus says these words. Luke records and says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Um, Luke's words probably don't describe it in the detail like we saw last week where Jesus had compassion upon the leper. But, but you've got to believe that Jesus was moved by what these men did and, and by this fellow sitting here right in front of him who's paralyzed. We don't know how long, maybe all of his life. He hasn't been able to move. We don't even know if he can talk. Man, your sins are forgiven you. He saw their faith. It moved them. And then he said, your, your sins are forgiven. I mean, it's an unbelievable statement. And so what, what do you think? What do you think? We're going to ask some questions to, to conclude this today as we move forward. What, what do you think the man and his friends were thinking when they heard those words? Right? Excuse me? My, okay. Okay. It's great. My sins are forgiven me. But the truth is, if you read this passage beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, Luke has been building to this point. It's a big point in the gospel. It's the biggest point, really, of the whole gospel. You'll remember in the story of Peter in the boat, um, and, and he's, he's, he's cut to the heart. Jesus is preaching this great sermon to the people in the crowd. He, he's just produced this great catch of fish. And then Peter, I mean, you'd think he'd just be hugging him going, Thank you! Fish, sushi, this is awesome. No. Peter falls on his knees and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That was the lead in. That, in fact, was the introduction to the subject that is the key to this passage. It's really not the great love that this man's friends had for him, which is wonderful. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's the forgiveness of sins. And what does it take? What have we seen in this passage? Well, in Peter's case, it was conviction. He's four or five feet from the holiness of God and the power of God being displayed right in front of him. He understands his sinful nature. That's his response. But Jesus sees these men's faith. Well, we're going to see something about what he actually saw in a moment. But of course, the scribes and the Pharisees—they have a little different response than you might be having right now, which is that's lovely, Jesus. Thank you, thank you for forgiving his sins, my sins. Goes on in verse twenty-one, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, "Who is this? Who is this? Who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins? But God alone." Now, let's be fair. The Pharisees get a bad rap. <laughs> Most of the time, I give them a bad rap. I kind of like doing it, to be honest with you. Uh, it's because uh, it's, it's not just them. It's not the Jewish Pharisees. It's religious people in general should be given a bad rap. But it's, they get a bad rap all the time. But in this case, r- really, their theology's not wrong. In this particular case, what they're seeing, or at least what they think they're seeing, could be right. But as we're going to see, they are the main opposition to Christ and are the ones who will eventually push for his crucifixion. But the truth is, right now, right here, what they're hearing him say and what they declare is right. It's right. So, forgiveness. Hmm. As we've already read, the Pharisees were the teachers of the law, they were the experts and keepers of the truth of the law and the Torah, the Old Testament. It was their job, and they were very actually good at it. And on this point, they're completely right. No one can forgive sins but God. They're right, completely right. And if they're right, Jesus, this guy in this room right now, is a blasphemer. That's an incredibly serious charge. Everybody in the room must be gasping a little bit, including Jesus' most faithful disciples. They've got to be going, this is serious, but they're not hearing this, are they? They're not actually hearing this. They began to question these sayings. So how is Jesus going to answer this? Well, let's just continue talking about forgiveness for a second. (laughs) The Lord's Prayer tells us a little bit about forgiveness, doesn't it? Something that we're supposed to actually do daily. It's a daily prayer, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. How about our Father, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How's that going for you? How are we doing with forgiveness? Forgiving those daily, those who offend, who trespass against you, against me. What, What do you expect the offender to do what do you do when you're offended? And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. And again, we need to dig in this more deeply in community group this week. We need to understand that behind all of our offenses against each other, there is first our sin against God. It doesn't go away. And, and you and I both know how much we struggle with forgiveness, man. I'm preparing this this week, and I'm am driving, and I'm I'm going through repeatedly some people who have offended me, or you know, not said something nice, or said something really unnice, or whatever. And it just it keeps coming back to me like week after week after week, and I'm like, and you know, and I'm running around in my head the offense, and you know, like, well, it's just a second, like I was, and and it just and, and then all of a sudden, you know, like I'm pre- preparing for this, and I'm praying about this, and I'm going, I have not forgiven them. Who's who's in bondage here? Who's in bondage? Them or me? So listen, as we will see in our text, Jesus, God, knows your hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows even, listen, our unconfessed sins. He, He knows our thoughts. What's going on in your mind right now, what's going on in your mind daily, does that trouble you? Does it trouble you? It should. But please hear this. You and I, we both need, we all need forgiveness for all of our sins, including our thoughtful sins. And you might say, well, just a second, come on. <sighs> okay, that's me, like, you know, I got, I'm broken, I got some problems, but really, how's that hurting anyone else? Every sin is first a sin against God. But here's the deal. If you don't confess those sins, if we don't confess those sins, acknowledge those sins, deal with those sins, we, you, I, we will be held captive to those sins every day. We will. It is why people struggle, why we struggle with depression, with anger, with frustration, with failed relationships. It's unconfessed and unrepented sin. Only Jesus Christ, only Jesus Christ can take away that burden and the bondage of that sin. Only Jesus can set you completely free and forever. How's that working for you? Friends, I, I listen, I, I, I know many of you in this room, and, and, and I, I know myself. boy, this is an area that we all struggle in. and so this is an area we need to be praying into this week, don't you think? praying into right now, because this is what Jesus has come to do. And so, how will Jesus answer this? Man, this is good. It's so good what he does. It's so good for you and for me. Verse 22 says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, Two verses, two simple verses that are so packed with meaning. The, the first thing that we see is Jesus, again, right, like right in front of them, they should be seeing this. He is displaying, isn't he, his divinity. They, they didn't speak this out loud, they're thinking it. They're looking at each other with knowing nods, mind you, going, <laughs> who does he think he is? Only God can. They're thinking these thoughts, they didn't articulate them, he hears them. He knows their thoughts. This is not what he heard. He, he knows. So then look, look. He answers their thoughts. Now, can you imagine? I mean, stop. Think about in the room, not just the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the legalistic dudes up front, but everybody in the room who's a faithful Jew at some point might be going, oh, wait, wait a second, the, the Pharisees are here. Did they just pick up on what I'm picking up on? Everybody, to a certain extent, in the room is kind of now doubting, questioning, And so Jesus has to answer. They're all probably thinking the same thing. And so what Jesus first says is key. It's key. He says, why do you question? Why do you question in your hearts? This is a a deep dagger, I think, to them. Because again, they didn't say it. They're now sitting there going, he knows what I'm thinking. Why do you question? And so Jesus through the Holy Spirit, perceives their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking, and and it gets linked to their hearts, what he knows. And they, the Pharisees, quite frankly, they should have known this. The whole Old Testament, the Bible teaches us on a regular basis what I just said a few minutes ago. He knows your thoughts right now, what's going on in your mind. If you don't believe in that God, then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. He knows these things. He does. The Old Testament is replete with it. I picked three for you. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jeremiah 17, said, 10 says, The Lord speaking through the prophet, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And then it gets even deeper with Ezekiel eleven five, where he says, For I know the things that come into your mind. Now listen, you want to know what God knows is going on in your mind? This is scary. Read Psalm 139, the first half, and then pray a lot. Because he knows exactly what's in it, and it's in Psalm 139 and, and elsewhere, but it's really amazing there. So what Jesus knows about their hearts is that they have a questioning spirit towards the things of God. They hear the word of God preached, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I, that offends me, so I don't know if I'm going to accept that part. They're questioning spirit is what he's really, really bringing forward here. They've been demonstrating that fact actually for centuries. That's why they keep adding to the law. They question God's word. He just says, do not steal. And they're like, well, you know, what is that? So they make all these little rules about, don't steal this, don't steal that. Well, you steal a little bit of this, then you give a little bit of that back. It, it was, so they, they've been doing that all of their lives, adding to the burdens of the people, and listen to this, without grace, without grace at all. So now watch what Jesus does. He, he's, kind of, he's kind of sneaky <laughs> in an all-knowing, omniscient way. In the way that he deals with them, it's, it's actually beautiful. He uses actually their own reasoning processes to show them the errors of their hearts. The question is and is whether or not they will accept it. It's not that they won't see what he's doing and saying. He says, which is, now look at this word, it's important, easier. It's very interesting that Jesus chooses the word easier. Right? But he knows who he's dealing with, people with questioning spirits. Always looking for the easy way, right? Which is easier, your sins are forgiven, you, or to say, rise and walk? Well, common sense tells us that they probably would have thought that the easier thing was to say that your sins are forgiven. Because, I mean, come on, think about it. How can that be verified, right? So that's kind of easy. You can just say it. Who knows that what you're saying is true? How, How do we verify that? But as we will see today, that is actually much harder. Easier versus harder. Much harder, especially since, first of all, one must have the authority to really, truly forgive sin. Then Jesus links the two issues together. Look at this. He says in verse 24, But that you may know, yeah, there we go, but that you may know with certainty, Theophilus, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. (laughs) So his action proves or should prove to everyone watching that the Son of Man is the one who has the power, and he's present. He's speaking. Room full of people. All the main religious leaders from all around Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem are there. He makes one thing happen, making the paralyzed man get up and walk to show that, listen, the much harder thing is possible in him. It's possible because of what he says, the power to forgive. Verses 25 and 26 tell us what happens immediately. I love this. It's like the leper. Right? it's like Everything happens, it's just immediately. Follow me, immediately. <laughs> it's immediately with Jesus. You confess, you repent, you're broken, you want to be healed? Immediately. Just have faith. Repent. Immediately, he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. No kidding. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things here today. Yes, you did. Oh, man. Man, to see that. Can 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 you just see it? Like, that's why we're doing this, is so that you, you can see it. It literally, truly did happen. So the man gets up, he walks away. And so think about what this says. Think about what this says. This is important. These guys, they're trying to rationalize this. Imagine trying, seeing that, you're hearing me describe it, you're we're reading it, but imagine they're there. If God heals, only, listen, those who are free from sin, and if he doesn't display his power, through those who make false claims, then why did this man get up? Like, if you, if you studied logic and reasoning at all, you've got to be, and these religious dudes have done that, you've got to be asking that question. If God heals only those who are free from sin, and if he doesn't display his power through those who make false claims, why did this guy get up? Because he's the son of God. That's the question his walking away poses for the audience, for you here today, for me. It's got to pose that question. The success of the miracle has narrowed the options down a little bit, hasn't it? I think so. The crowd praises God and recognizes that they've seen a wonderful and amazing thing. But what about the Pharisees, do you think? What what do you think? How do you think they were taking all this? Well, I want to go back to verse 20 in conclusion this morning. I'll put it back up on screen for you. Um, let me ask you this: <clears throat> Is this what the man and his four buddies expected, right when they came? I mean, do you think they were thinking in their hearts what the Pharisees and everyone else was thinking? Like, I mean, I don't know, but I'm thinking that they were feeling something like this. Well, well, Jesus, um, we we, uh, we think you're an amazing healer and, and teacher, but to be honest with you, we went to all this trouble. We, we, we brought him here from another town on a bed and then we found ropes and we opened the roof and we dropped them down in front of you so that you would heal him, so that you would give him his ability to walk back to him again or for the first time. That's why we did this. So, so the question is, why did Jesus forgive his sins instead? Well, we know the end of the story, but why? At, at first, they've got to be asking this question. I mean, he knew what they wanted. He knows their thoughts. He knows their hearts. He knows your thoughts. He knows my hearts. So was he just doing this to have a little game with the Pharisees, do you think? Was that why he was doing it? No. Clearly not. The truth and the amazing and the key and the heart of the story is this. Jesus knew that this man suffered from a much greater paralysis. He suffered from a paralysis, a disease that could In fact, that would, in fact, if his sins were not forgiven him, separate him from God for eternity and in a place that no amount of friends could ever save him from. And what did the man do to be forgiven his sins? What did he do? Nothing. Pharisees must have been running that around in their head too, right? Look at it. Did he do the works of the law? Was he a good Jew? Like, he didn't do anything. That tells us a lot about the grace that Jesus gives to us. So, friends, let's not miss what I'm sure the Pharisees on that day missed. Let's not miss what they were thinking. Of the the two options they were given, which do you think they thought was the harder to do? Harder, not easier anymore. The harder to do. The healing of his physical paralysis, right? Right? They, they, they probably thought, well, you know, listen, only God can forgive sins, so sure. Forgiving sins is pretty easy for God, but, uh, you know, listen, that magic trick, making him get up and walk away and be healed, like, we know this guy, we've seen him around town, that's harder actually to do. That was probably their thinking. It is why they would, just five days after his triumphal arrival in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they would cry out with the whole crowd, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. That's the harder thing. That's the harder thing. Not for the man, or for you, or for me, but for Jesus. Forgiveness of your sin, my sin, all of the leprosy, all of the sins of the world was a much harder thing for Jesus to do on that cross, wasn't it? Much harder. On a cruel Roman cross, Jesus was paralyzed, nailed to it for hours so that every one of your sins, every one of my sins, every one of the sins of the world could be poured out on him so that you and I could be forgiven our sins. Every single one of them. And so that at that point, he could say to you and to me, now get up (laughs) and walk in newness of life today and for eternity. Feel like praising his glorious name now? (laughs) Amen. Let's pray.